Welcome to the Art of Unraveling podcast. My name is Erin McGuire, and I'm an empowerment coach and guide here to empower you into feeling completely worthy of a business and life that you love. This podcast is the place to learn how to unravel anything keeping you from that abundant, beautiful life that you so deserve. Nothing is off limits here as we navigate life through psychology, science, and spirit. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, it's Erin. I wanted to just share that we do talk about some sensitive material in this podcast so that you can be prepared and maybe choose not to listen if these kinds of topics are hard for you to hear or something you're not quite in that space to want to listen to. We do go into topics of suicide and there is some graphic descriptions of some of that. And I just want to put that out there and share that so that you can make that choice that's right for you. On the other side, there are some beautiful topics and beautiful revelations that get discussed here. So do choose to listen uh, for some of those pieces as well. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of The Art of Unraveling. As always, you all know I love doing these interviews and they get so many listens that uh, we just want to keep them rolling. Please let us know if there's any topics you want to hear from or listen about um, or if you have anybody that you would like to hear on the podcast as well. Uh, Today, I'm very excited to talk with Lori. And she found, we found each other on Facebook and she's, she's got a story to share. She's been through a lot. I, I think you found me from, um, talking about somatic work and, you know, trauma responses and the nervous system work that if you all have been listening here, you know, I can't shut up about cause it's like, was such a missing piece of the puzzle. And I think so many people Um, are really feeling that too. We do just want to share before I turn it over to Lori to uh, introduce herself and you all are just going to love her. She's got such a wealth of information and her story. uh, She's just got a lot to share and we're we're really excited to have her on the Art of Unraveling. We do just want to let you know that we will be touching on some sensitive subjects in this podcast. So if um, it's a bit of a trigger warning, we're going to give right now that we are going to touch on some topics like suicide. And if this is too much for you to listen to right now, um, just put this one in a saved file and come back to it at another time. Cause you definitely want to hear what Lori has to say. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Thanks Erin. So yeah, I found you from following all of your stuff and reading all of your stuff which uh, was so um, helpful to me at Mm. at a time. Uh, So my name is Lori Lum and I'm vice president of a company uh, called Advancement Resources located in Cedar Rapids. But my work mainly has been, uh, I've been an empathy researcher for um, over a decade. Oh gosh, well over a decade. (laughs) We don't have to talk about that part. Uh, So this is very all of what we're going to talk about has been an area of study of mine for a long time. It's just, um, you know, it's funny when you study something for years and then, wow, 
let's put this into practice. How does it Funny evolve how that works when it happens to you? Yeah. Lori, before you jump in, I know I can, it's almost, I can tune into my listeners and it's almost like I can hear their little questions happening in their mind. I know they're asking, what is an empathy researcher? What does mm-hmm. that even mean? I don't know if you want to talk about that now or we can. Sure. Well, my focus was, I did have a hyper-focus when it came to empathy research. Um, really what I studied was the research empathy has in leadership mm. uh, in the workplace. And so finding true connection. When, when we think about these younger generations, what, they, what they're looking for in work, um, it's just a little bit different than the older generations, you know, the do it because I say so <laughs> isn't necessarily as, uh, as doesn't resonate as much with these younger generations. And then we all went through a collective experience with, with COVID of what empathy, like a profound um, experience of what was required when we were looking into people's homes via Zoom and we could see if their dishes were done, we could see <laughs> their kids. And we got to see a whole different part of their lives that was separate from us in a traditional work environment. So this is, um, it's real and it's it's a game changer for building teams. So that's really where my study has been. Yeah. But empathy is so broad that it touches all of our lives, right? So yeah. there's a lot I can speak to that's in general as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch more on that. I know we want to kind of dive into your story and... Um, how empathy has, how you've had to dive into your own work in the last few years. Tell us more about that. Well, I think, um, boy, so my partner about two years ago, two years ago in a month, um, took his life. Uh, the year leading up to that was very troublesome. Um, what I found out after his death is that he had struggled with mental illness for years. Uh, Just never divulged that information to me. And we were together for seven years and I didn't know. So that required a whole lot of self-reflection when you think about the nature of my work, Um, because obviously, you know, shame and empathy go very closely uh, together, vulnerability, all of those words. And so for, I struggled with not understanding why I didn't know for so many years. Um, Mm -hmm. but I will tell you that it was a, really horrific situation. I mean, he shot himself Mm and I was in the home when it happened and, and I found him and, Mm -hmm. uh, he was still alive when I found him. So I had an opportunity to talk to him. Um, and they say the last thing to go is there is the hearing. So, uh, but I am not an expert on suicide. I can tell you that. I don't know what drove him to that. He was a very private person, incredibly private. And I, I mean, in the seven years that we were together, I never once checked his phone. He never checked mine. Like there was, um, just never any cause for that. Uh, but the relationship also was very different in that we both traveled significantly for work. Um, I teach all over the world, U S Canada, UK, Australia, and, uh, 
So we lived so parallel. It's easy. Yeah, it's yes. easier. We lived very to not parallel. Know somebody yes. fully when you're not. Yeah, I know just from the few times I've talked to you, to you over the year that we've known each other, you're here, there, and everywhere mm-hmm. all the time. So I can imagine there could be a lot of opportunities to not really know each other. I still was shocked, but he was self-medicating yeah. with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last year was not like the first mm-hmm. six that we were together. The first six were wonderful, good years. Mm-hmm. The last year was, um, he was not, he was, he was very angry when he would be intoxicated. He was very um, verbally abusive. Oh, key indicators. Uh, my, my dog wouldn't go near him. Like she'd hide mm. from him. Like we would hide from him when he was not very many people know that. And I don't like to talk about that stuff because I don't, he's, mm. a, he was wonderful and he was just uh, struggling, obviously. Um, but I think what really brought me to, to this, uh, having this conversation is mm. I have been inundated in my work, um, from people in my networks on how did you get through? Like, what, what did you do? Like, how did you, what have you learned? That was the big one. What have you learned? Now I will preface this with, I don't think any traumatic, I I, I get my, all the hackles get up. (laughs) Like when I hear someone going through a traumatic event, well, you did so because you had to learn a lesson from it. And I I don't, Mm. I don't buy into that dogma. Um, I don't think that every, I think you can find a lesson, you can look for it, but that's the option of the victim. I don't, it is not the, um, the responsibility. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's not a responsibility of theirs. It's an option of theirs. And when I had cancer, when I was younger at stage four um, lymphoma, when I was 24, uh, that was one of the biggest questions that I had. What did you learn from this? Oh, there's a reason why, you know, you got cancer because God gave you cancer. Like, mm. <laughs> weirdness. It's weird. Right. It's weird. I'm sorry. He wouldn't bring you to it. If he wouldn't, if he couldn't bring you through it, that kind of shit. Like, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. There may be swearing. <laughs> Everybody knows. <laughs> Other Everybody- warning. Everybody knows that happens in here. <laughs> Good. Um, I will talk about that. I will talk about there's a whole, I mean, it's it's been a journey and that journey is not over. And I think anybody who's experiences trauma. The other thing I will tell you is that um people will ask me, well, I've never been any through anything like what you've been through, Lori. Like I can't even imagine it. Well, her is relative. I mean, the greatest amount of hurt that you've ever felt is still the greatest amount of hurt you've ever felt. There's no comparison. That's a good point. That no, is a really good, me. that's a really good point to bring up um, just really quickly to share on that, that um, it's a really easy way to bypass your own trauma when you're like, everybody else's is so much bad, so much worse. Like mine, I didn't have it as bad as Lori did. So I... I just want to share that because that's, it's really important to, to put a pin in that and just say, you know, it, like you said, it's relative and it happened to you and we still need to look at that and mm-hmm. honor that and not bypass it as other people have had it way worse than me. I just want to pop it's in. It's true. And yeah. um, it's not so- to say let's wallow in our 
suffering all the time, but it's just to be aware that like your trauma is your trauma and your feelings are your feelings. And it's absolutely valid, no matter what it is. It's 100% valid. Yes. So when we think about the, the journey, um, I wish I could just, I I mean, there could be a list of how to's, right. But there, there isn't, uh, it's all going to, it ebbs and flows. And I think that, uh, obviously grief is not linear or recovering from grief is not linear, but I can tell you that what worked for me and what didn't in the, the journey that I was on the exploration, it has been, and it's not over. It's been a learning process that I think has expanded my own perspective. And here, my whole career is built on expanding perspective, trying to understand what someone else is feeling. And I feel like I, I thought I knew, like I thought I had it under, you know, thought, thought I could do it. Like, but it's, you're never done. This work of knowing yourself, like fundamentally to your core, the key to surviving anything like that is having a truly deep understanding of your own needs. Um, so I went into like this, like hyper self-care mode, but not right away. Not right away. I think that for the first two months after his, his death, now, first of all, I was out of that home and in a new city within 18 hours, my whole life changed. My small little army of wonderful people (laughs) came out to Minnesota, packed all my stuff. And I was, I could not go back into that home. Mm -mm. And, uh, so everything was flipped. Like I, and I spent a solid two months asking why, why did this happen? Why did he do this? Why, how I don't understand. Like, and you will drive yourself insane by trying to guess. And I think the best thing that my therapist said to me is she goes, she goes, Lori, she goes, people only show you what they want you to know. And there's no guessing. Like you can't guess away what happened. Like you're never going to know. And so it's resting in the thought of this was not my responsibility. It was not my responsibility to find the answers for the action he took. Right. And I didn't owe those answers to anybody. So when people would say, why did he do that? Or what happened? Or how did you not? It's not my responsibility to have those answers. You, you only know what you know, right? Or what they tell you and what they show you. And if if it's evident that they're protecting themselves or protecting their secrets, then that's the answer. And that's okay. I think so many people, especially in his life, were looking at me for questioning for, for answers. And I, I just, I didn't have them. And I had to get real good with not having them. First of all, I'm just so sorry to hear that you had to go through that. And secondly, I just, as you say that, I'm like, what an odd question to ask someone that went through what you went through. 
to ask you, why did he do that? And like, give me those answers, you know? That's very I, natural. I get it's the human yeah. curiosity, but it's, yeah, it's just kind of chalk it up to like one of those things just, you just don't say. <laughs> you would think, but I think when people are hurting, they are just yeah. raw and yeah. super in the moment. They want to um, know why, mm-hmm. why, why I knew this person. Why did he do this? Yeah. So there was, so for, I, I think, and I, I got stuck there for a long time. And then I had this wonderful friend. Now I went to therapy right away. Like there, I didn't mess around. I found a good yeah. therapist. Um, I adore her. She's fantastic. She's still in my life, of course. Uh, but normal talk therapy just wasn't doing it. I, I couldn't, you can only talk about it so much. Like, uh, mm-hmm. But I had a darling friend who knew me very well. And she invited me to go for a ruck. Now I was like, what's a ruck, Bridget? Rucking is a weighted hike. So it's think of the military, right? You put a pack on, it's a pretty heavy pack and you just walk. And I can tell you that this to me, this is where this somatic world started to enter in. And I didn't even know, I wasn't even aware, but I'd been an athlete my entire life. My, I like from a young age, that was, that was my escape. And I know a lot of people are like, you know, do physical activity to fight depression and all that kind of stuff. That's not somatic. That's not what I'm talking about. You have to marry the two. There has to be an integration between that verbal understanding of the traumatic event married with the body movement. Because as you know, trauma rests deep inside our body. And what this wasn't just, I don't want to, one of the things, Erin, that I have learned completely is that this work has identified stuff that was buried for years and it's not just buried for it's not just this one event that happened that caused the trauma that's why emdr did not work for me because even finding him in that state did not trigger the typical response that my therapist was thinking she would see and the only explanation that she could have that she had on why that didn't is because I had huge coping capacity and that ca- that coping capacity came from several traumas experienced to where I had already found resources to work through it so um when you think about your own. I mean, this, and this goes back to childhood. This goes back to, I think fundamentally what I came to that is the trigger for me is not protecting myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not protecting myself from people's critical eye, from judgment, from, and so when, when that showed up for me and it showed up for me because I got entangled in a relationship not long after Jeremy's death. And despite the best of intentions that person had, incredibly critical of my reaction to Jeremy's death. Mm -hmm. 
So that sent me like really having to do a lot of self-awareness of, and a lot of self-reflection on how am I, how am I reacting to this? And the hardest thing that I had to acknowledge and understand was okay, was that I wouldn't go back. Given the opportunity, I would not go back to that life with Jeremy. I'm so sad for him that he chose that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that I, when I got back here, this was after a year of hiding in a freaking closet because I felt like he was not safe. Like there's two separate things that we're dealing with here. I am. Yeah. I know the Jeremy that I loved and that loved me. That was not the man that was in that room that night. He was four times the legal limit. I mean, he was so out of his mind when he did it that he didn't even know what was going on. Wow. It's sad. It's just. It's just. But I felt like I was trying to get to a safe place. And when someone judges the way you're managing that space, Mm. that was a repeated pattern that I'd had from childhood, from having very critical parents about behavior. And I found myself trying to um, almost like mold myself into something that this person felt was acceptable to the experience that I had. And this is what I mean by it is so critical to like protect yourself. Like you have to know who you are from your core in order to make decisions and not rest in this. I mean, I didn't even recognize how vulnerable I was at that moment. Like that was probably one of the biggest realizations I had is that I was so incredibly over my skis. Like I, I did not have my feet underneath me in order for me to make my own decisions. And I was letting other people influence how I felt like I should be going through this or what was the expectation. And so then when you're getting criticized for trying to rebuild yourself and create a safe space for yourself, right? that it's not right. It's just, it was the most damaging experience I've ever had. And I let it happen. I teach people how to do this. So it was, um, it was a hard realization to acknowledge at that moment that I wasn't protecting myself. And one of the things that my therapist had um, encouraged me to do, which I'm going to encourage everyone, if you're looking for a how-to, this is one, restorative yoga. Restorative yoga is very different than normal yoga. It's not a workout. You're not going to go in. And it is, mm-hmm. it is distinctly 
designed to create space for that somatic work for you to think about those and get your body into a relaxed and expel. Like I remember there were signs, like I would, we'd go into these, these um, body positions, especially when it came to like opening up like my pelvis, like, and my legs are like, and I know that that was just because trauma rests in your body. That is yeah. not a joke. And it is, you, you'll feel it. You'll feel things start to leave your body as you're, it, but it takes intentionality. You cannot, this is why just working out isn't going to do it for you. You know, I could go rock and listen to right. loud music and, you know, and just get into that. That's going to make me feel good in the or moment. Or lifting weights or any totally, of that. Whatever yeah. that is. But yeah. what the rucking, why the rucking was so beautiful is that we would ruck for two hours and not speak. Mm. Like I was in yeah. my head working through that, working, revisualizing all of the experience that I had in Jeremy's death and just continually to work. Mm. And I would drop to my knees at some points and just like, you know, and she just held space for me. There was no expectation for me to talk. There was no expectation for me um, for her to tell me what to do. She just held space. It was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. If you could ever give anybody a gift, like, mm. if you, like, that's it. Like no expectations, no judgment. No, just walk. If I wanted to speak, I would, she'd listen, but it was, what it, was through, uh, it was, I never had anybody do that for me. Not in that way. I've got a lot of really good people in my life, but no one that just let it be. And that gave me permission to explore. And I'm a deep thinker. I'm, an, I'm a freaking nerd, man. Like That's my life. Has been, I'm a researcher. So I am internal. I'm an internal processor. And so when I went through this experience of, you know, I got into that, I did the rocking and I did, a lot of yoga, but especially restorative yoga. And I remember distinctly one of the episodes, one of the, the um, sessions that I was in, she was talking about um, self-care and she was just, you know, it was nothing like she wasn't getting really deep. She was just talking about the yeah. importance of self-care and the importance of trusting yourself. And um, I can get into that moment very quickly hold on one second, of just really um, my allowing my brain to go where it needs to go. And I remember having this image of my house um, with a bubble over it, like a, and it was truly like this protective and what it was telling me is not everybody gets access to this right now. Like you have to protect mm. who you are. So in this moment of vulnerability of me just reaching out and trying to, um, you know, find individuals that perhaps are not good for me in hindsight, were not good for me. I had to be discerning and I had to protect myself. And that was when I, that was the first moment of realizing that I had to take, I had to make some tough choices. Yeah. Um, now, Jeremy died in June. Um, January, my mother died. And my mother 
the, the following January. My mother's death was arguably more horrific than even Jeremy's. It was the worst death I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> telling you what, man. Uh, I told you this was going to happen. Um, so essentially, uh, she thought she had COVID. And so she sequestered herself in her room for three weeks and just cut it short didn't see my dad dad wouldn't let dad in I said dad you need to go in the room and he's like no you know your mother she's gonna scream at me she's gonna be so angry my mother had anger issues and I'm like dad I don't care like she's not eating you gotta go and he's like no I need you to come home and I'm like you gotta be kidding me like but I was the boy of the family Mm, right and so I took one look at my mom. I busted through the door. I looked up, I, I called 911. She died two days later. She was so toxic. She had pulled her teeth out. Her mouth was black. She basically was completely septic. And oh my gosh, Lori. She died alone in a room over a three week period of time. And she fought me so I'm trying to get the paramedics to like sedate her and she's fighting me and she's like I just need a fighting chance and I'm looking at her and I'm, you know babe that's gone dude like we're we're done here like I knew you know like but wow. at that moment like during her passing I mean that that one put me in a fetal position um But people that I wanted to show up in my life didn't. Hmm. And that was when there was clarity. There was a moment of clarity of, I'm not doing this anymore. And I shut down. Like I, I, I got so quiet. Like I pulled way inside. And, you know, they talk about like resourcing when it comes to, somatic work, like know what your resources are. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've taught for years, I've taught this in when anyone is entering into self-improvement or any kind of like, is you have to know your core values. Like you have to, you have to know what those are clearly defined. What is it that makes you proud of yourself? What is it that you lean into when you got nothing and see, I had been in these places before. You don't get told you have stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma at 24 and that. And when you shake hands with your own mortality, it's a game changer. Like, yeah. So there's a, that work had already, that foundation had already been established. My therapist was like, you have muscle memory in this space, which is part of the reason why you're not reacting in the way a lot of people, people did. And I'm a researcher. I'm an empathy. I mean, I've done right. a lot of this work. I've learned it. So but I didn't learn it enough, I guess. Um, but identifying what those core values are and what really gives you solace, like in those moments of absolute desolation where, and again, hurts relative. I don't care what it is. Sometimes the breakups are the worst hurt you've ever been in and everybody's broken up with somebody. They love, right? right. Like it doesn't matter what it is, but yeah. in those moments of like, Fuck, this sucks. You've got to have something to lean into. You've got to identify. And this is something you do when you 
do it before it's too late, right? Yeah. Have a plan of action ahead of time. Know yourself. Or identify what those are. And, you know, I can tell you that one of my core values is courage. 100%. It's tattooed on my back. (laughs) And cur means tell your story with your whole heart. Like it's about authenticity. Mm. So courage is about showing up and being real and being who you are. And that is like 100%. Like if you don't know who that is, this is a journey that you need. I encourage everybody to start to understand because since you were young, someone in your life has told you what you're good at. Someone in your life has identified, oh, you're a peacemaker. You're a doer. You're really strong. You're really smart. You're really kind. Whatever those is, and it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be a friend, it could be a parent, it could have been a grandparent. Those innate natural gifts are a good place to start identifying yeah. what those are. But I knew, I knew that courage was mine, was one of my fundamental. And when I was not acting in alignment with those core values, this is, those are the, that's what keeps you out of the ditches. When you have identified what those are and you know that your behavior is not acting in alignment, or Mm. if you know that someone in your life is not acting in alignment with your core values, then you know that there needs to be a change that needs to shift. Yeah. Despite this person, this relationship that I was in, their messaging to me, their actions were not in alignment with their words. And you have to choose what to believe. And one of the hardest decisions I've ever made was ending a relationship I didn't want to end solely for the purpose of protecting myself. Mm. Yeah. Because that's what I should have done with Jeremy before any of this happened. See? Because I don't know. That's the big question, right? Like, what if I would have gotten myself out of that? Right. Would he have done it? Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there are, and I'm not going to struggle with that one. I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah. That's a path of bad, but destruction. That's right. But what I can do is identify that I know I need to protect myself. And I used to laugh at those memes. I'm not going to lie. Be your own hero. God, those used to make me like, Oh, whatever. Right. Right. Cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till you have to be it. Oh yeah. And then it's, it's shocking how hard it is to protect yourself, especially as women. Yeah. Especially as an empathetic person. Because epithetic ragamuffin can be toxic. Um, if you don't have boundaries, if you don't protect yourself, people can seep in and take advantage of you, and and that erodes your own self worth. Yes, yes, well said. Yes, because it's not like so. My brain goes to, as you say that, like we have to walk around in fear. Then you know, and it's like no. 
you know, but it's having that awareness that we have the ability to be taken advantage of very easily. So like you said, have that bubble, have that shield, but also you can still walk with an open heart. You can walk around with an open heart. Here's here's how I think about that. I needed the bubble because I was not protecting myself. Right. I needed to discern, sorry, I have a dog that wants to be part of this, um, until I was ready to be able to give people appropriate access. But I had, uh, it was, it became very clear to me that I wasn't clear on what my boundaries were. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And I was allowing people's judgment of me to infiltrate how I even thought about how I was dealing with this. People who had never experienced it in their lives, anything like it. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's more about understanding um, when you're in a time of vulnerability, of extreme vulnerability, you might not even be aware of what you're allowing into your life because you're searching for something, for help, for comfort, right? It could be alcohol. It could be sex. It could be like, do you see what I'm saying? It's not just people. Right. And then from a nervous system perspective, you could be in a state of dorsal vagal shutdown. So then we kind of are dissociated and that's another way you can let people in, right? You went through a massive trauma, like no doubt you went into some dorsal vagal shutdown as well. Your Mm -hmm. body is just like, this is how we have to protect ourselves. Yes. Yes. Um, For me, I would... No, no, no. I think so. Um, but I also know it was intentional. Mm. It was intentional, but that's my way. That might not be everybody's way. I'm just an internal processor. I wrote yeah. a, I wrote a, I don't know, little thing on Facebook the other day, a few, few months ago, someone had asked me, you know, where, where's your heart, Lori? One of my friends. And cause I'm just maybe thinking about dating again and boy that's a whole nother freaking podcast but um (laughs) uh I try to describe in very few words the experience after Jeremy's death and the best experience that I could have is what you just talked about I was frozen I was frozen in midair like I was just I couldn't express throat shock blocked for sure I couldn't even talk um, people who were trying to um, extrapolate from me, I I didn't have the words or the words that I had that did come were not adequate for the listener. Judgment. Um, but what was happening, I think, over time for me, because I, I got quiet. One of my favorite quotes is the quieter you become, the more you can hear was my heart knew. And this is what I mean when you, when you, when the body holds trauma, the body also holds a knowing, like an internal knowing. And I don't know how to, I don't know how else to explain it. I don't. I think about it in a picture in my head. I visualize it. And my heart warmed me from the inside out like it mm. it did the work like I gave it space to do the work I stepped out of judgment of myself 
I protected myself from people who I felt were not emotionally equipped to handle what was happening with me. And I don't blame them. I don't have angst against them. I don't feel anger towards them. And I don't blame them. This is heavy shit. Like people don't deal with this every day. Like I said, I think they had the best of intentions. It just didn't come out. It's not what you needed at that time. No. Yeah. And there's a difference between intention and impact. We teach this all the time in, you know, DEI work. There's a difference between intention and what you said and the impact it had on the listener. And not everybody has bad intentions, even though the impact is bad. So my, for me, it was this internal knowing of who I was at my core. And I don't, some of it sounds so fucking pretentious and I do not want to sound pretentious because it's not that. It is, um, God, I don't even know what to say. See, it's like, this is, this is it. You feel guilt or shame for yeah. feeling like you, For feeling like what? What was that? The end of that? Guilt or shame for feeling what? Oh, you're so strong, Lori. Mm. Wait, so you feel guilt and shame when people say you're so strong because you were able to get through this in this certain way. You're so strong. I could never do that. That kind of thing. Interesting. Why does that bring up guilt and shame? Um, I don't know how to, I can only talk about my own experience, right? Like I, yeah, that's what we're here to do. Yeah. And I don't want people to think like, Oh, she thinks she has all the answers or she, you know, like it's not, it's just when you are experiencing something that takes you to the end of your rope, you don't have very many options at that point. And you sure shit better know who you are. So maybe that's some tough love, but it's I'm not going to apologize. See, this was the critique. Mm -mm. This was the critique. This was my big critique. You think you're so strong. Um, I'm not going to apologize. I see. That was from that person you were dating. You think you're so strong. You're so strong, Lori. You're so smart, Lori. Like, Mm. I'm doing the work is what I'm doing. And I'm not afraid. So when you think about like, building um, a pathway to healing. It is, if there is one time in your life to be selfish, it's around these kind of situations where it's yes. gotta be about you. You've got to figure out what it is that is your hyper self-care. And I'm not talking a massage. I'm talking Mm-mm. like, what are you doing that you are fundamentally taking care of who you are? And that is first by understanding who you are understanding and and stepping outside yourself and analyzing how is my behavior lining up with the things that I value most? Those are your stepping stones. What are my gifts? What do I know that I'm good at? What do I, what can I lean into? What are my resources, right? My resources, 
One, I knew what my core values were. Two, I had been an athlete my whole life. So I had this avenue of physicality that that resonated with me. For yeah. some people, it's going to be music and reading or dance or there, but it's got to be some kind of, you got to integrate the body with the mind in order to push out that trauma that is so deeply embedded. Um, look up restorative yoga. I, I, I cannot encourage that more because I think that's a, it's not, doesn't take a lot of physicality as you know, right. um, like not, have, yeah, yes. It's not about that, but it Mm-mm. is that movement enough to help you push some of that workout. Yeah. Keep talking. I'm just going to turn on a light. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, I think. Um... Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things that that one can do. But I just want to touch on too, like, you know, when Lori's saying, like, learn about who you are, I would go on a limb and say, I think most people don't know who they are. Don't they don't. Because most of us grew up in houses where our parents were emotionally, you know, they didn't have themselves figured out. There was trauma. There was maybe alcoholism in my case or, you know, workaholics or whatever you want to call it. Like everybody had something and that's going to lead you to not know thyself. And so the process of learning who you are, as I think we can probably both attest to, takes some time. It does. And it's an iterative process. So it's um, not like you like figure out your core values and all of a sudden you've got it figured out. Totally. And I'll tell you, yeah. So I had mentioned this um, with one of your and I conversations earlier in that there's a difference between honest and truth, right? Your truth Mm. can shift. Yes. And it will like, you'll have these moments where it's just like, Mm -hmm comes over you and a new, a new truth that you maybe weren't aware of before. Mm -hmm. I had that happen to me recently. What was true for you a year ago might not be true for you today like that. So it ebb and flows and it's, it's okay. It's, it's not static. Right. Or your external environment in my case, it was a little way less than that situation recently that I had forces you to like go, actually, no, this is not what I stand for anymore. I stand for this. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that I'm now done with that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like your, I feel like your external environment will inform you of those truths. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something to celebrate. It it's really not is. something it is. And not to feel guilty about, about where you were before, because where you were before allowed you to have the perspective to where you are now. I think all of this just builds. And, um, when I think about kind of the, the biggest takeaways is that, you know, this, we think we know. And I think one of the, the biggest mistakes that we can make is being certain about anything. Mm. Right. Yeah because things can change. And so really the ability to be that meta highest level of adult development, that self um, transforming mind, you know, that you have the capacity to explore even the things you thought you knew for certain. Um, that was one of the biggest lessons, you know, I thought I had it. I thought I knew I had to do. 
And then I found myself in a place where I wasn't protecting myself at all. Mm. Yeah. And that, So I'm curious, how does protecting yourself look? What does that look like now for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knowing what you're being more um, defined by what's acceptable and what's not when it comes to how people treat you. So like, you know, I, I always thought as an empathy researcher that the one of the most, the best gift I could give someone is to accept someone as they are right mm-hmm. where they're standing. And I, I, I do still believe that. I think it's absolutely beautiful to be able to accept, but that doesn't mean that they have access. So it's not trying to, so the, like in love partnerships, a lot of this round for me is love partnerships since Jeremy was my, my significant who have passed in, yeah. And the other person was, had the influence. Um, so now it's like, yeah, I can accept you for where you are, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have access to me. Uh, and that's not because I'm expecting you to change. Like, or I, I'm here in the game to change you. Uh, that's right. not it. I Which don't we can very that. sneakily get ourselves into. No, no. Oh, he'll not. change. He'll change. Yeah. No, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so that was one um mm. I can accept you but I don't have to give you access you, give to you me. access to yeah. me because so much I mean you think about like even if with the, the what we were talking about earlier with the little snippet that you dropped the other day about having to talk to somebody or standing there talking to a dude that you were like this guy's drunk and I'm standing here talking to him for like I don't know 15 minutes too long like why am I even engaging so much of this is socialized into a women's mind that we want to yeah. be liked. We want to be accepted. We have to be kind to people and we have to accept behavior that is not good for us, but we have to accept it. And the moment that we don't accept it, Ooh, we're hard to deal with, or we are. God forbid the, the B word, right? You're exactly. Oh, bitch. She's Yeah. So like, even now, when I go on on dates, one of the things that has been really kind of a game shifter for me now is I'm not worried if that person likes me. Mm. I'm trying to figure out if I like them. <laughs> like, yes, I'm snap clapping that. But that's not how I operated for 40 plus years. Or, well, no, I wasn't in the dating scene for 40 years, but you know what I mean. 30. I know what you mean. I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I did the same exact thing. Let, I love that you touched on that. Um, she's, I want to go back to how women are socialized just to touch on it for a bit. I know we're, we try to keep these podcasts to like 45 minutes to an hour, but, um, it doesn't matter. There's no rules because I'm creating the podcast, (laughs) but I just, I think I'm like all fired up about how women are socialized because what Lori is referring to, if some of you don't know, just the other day, I went to go get some lunch literally in the middle of my work day, popped out of my car. I could see this guy kind of motioning to me. And I was like, oh, here we go. And um, he looked rough around the edges, was standing outside of a bar. It's 1230 in the afternoon. He's smoking a cigarette. He wants to know about my car. He wants to tell me about his ex-wife and how he used to sell Hondas in Colorado. And internally, I've dealt with this before. So internally, I'm feeling like, Aaron, you don't want to be here. Like, why are you giving this person the time of day? And yet I felt 
almost stuck. Like I, because the same, at the same time, the narrative was, well, that's rude, Aaron. That's rude to just be like, I got to go. But do you think guys have the same? No, no, no they exactly. do not. So men have, yeah. yeah. It, oh, I just read this article about mm. men behave how they want to behave. And then women have to adjust and, and accept or not accept it. And it's a, uh, and then we're the ones that judge for how it is. What was another yeah. big, you know, so you think about um, the behavior, the empathy can be toxic. Empathy, being over empathetic, being, and that's, mm, you know, people will think, right, being overly kind, right? Like, I want to be kind and mm. want and treat people with love. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that I have to accept someone who is infringing upon my personal space or um, not being, you know, in the moment that you held that man accountable for his actions, if he was infringing upon your space, can you imagine what his reaction would have been? <laughs> right. Well, so sorry, I don't mean to take this podcast a different direction, but somebody wrote to me and she brought up a really good point. She goes, I have dealt with this myself. And she wonders if part of it is because subconsciously somewhere in there, it's like, I have to stay safe. I have to be kind because this is a male and he could overpower me, even though it's the middle of the day and there's people around, but that's deep within our DNA and our subconscious. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting point that I hadn't even thought of. It's not outside this podcast. It's on point with this podcast. Okay, it's about protecting ourselves. Protecting so you, ourselves. Okay. Perfect. I did not, right. I did not leave Jeremy in that moment of, in that year. Of, in that year, Lori. Yes. Hiding in your bedroom with your dog. It's yeah. about part of that was based in fear of holding him accountable to his behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was not unique even to the person that I got involved with holding you know, him accountable because his, his behavior and his, his words did not meet. And the moment that I would point out the discrepancy, yeah, somehow it was my fault. Yes. Yeah. Like the one time that the conversation where, where I did feel like I held him accountable, it all became, I find myself apologizing. (laughs) What's happening here? Yeah. Not protecting like, but not from, yeah. That, that I, there's been a recent thing floating around. Um, people don't want to, they want to talk about how you're triggered, but they don't want to talk about what you did to trigger them. See what I mean? Yeah. Let's, let's deal with, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to be accountable for their behavior. Well, if you've exactly. done this, I wouldn't be triggered. Like, this is what happened. And this is why I'm this way. And this is why I'm maybe not behaving in my best self, but you know, it happened. Yes. So you're right. It is right on point with this podcast because it is about protecting yourself. And I think talking about how women are socialized, how it's this deep unconscious thing that goes back to the beginning of time that, you know, we are like, this is in no judgment. We are the weaker sex, like not in our, our mental capacity or anything, just physically, like, it's just undeniably the case, um, that most men can overpower me. There's probably some I can overpower, but (laughs) for the most part, that's the case. And yeah, I think 
it's just really interesting that I just had that experience and it just rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I felt this like nice girl coming out. And that's so interesting that that woman said, well, what if it's because we're trying to stay safe? And I'm like, I hadn't even thought about that. I just thought I was being nice. I think that's why women stay in relationships too long. I think that there's a, um, this, oh. yeah, this withdrawal or this resistance to give women autonomy and agency uh, to make decisions like that without judgment. Um, yeah. And, well, men too. Like, I don't want to make this just about women. I think, yeah, men, it, you, you know, know, there's like a sense yeah. of like a, you know, another family. We're not trying to be, we're not being sexist here. We're not being, you know, we're just talking about, yeah. But I do think mm-hmm. men have a more um, robust sense of agency. Mm. And, uh, they just, they don't care about the impact of their decisions as much. It doesn't, right. They don't care. They just don't feel the ramifications of it. Whereas when we make decisions and you think about this from financially, you think about it in the workplace, it could be, um, we are going to face ramifications because we obviously often don't earn as much money. Like we have to think about all of the things that all of the things, yeah. our decisions have, uh, the ramifications of these decisions and, Part of it is if we choose to leave, gosh, break up a family. Like, can you imagine? Well, you're not a good mother, right? Like there's, there's so much there, Lori. Yeah. There is so much there. Yeah. And you see it all the time. And I'm sure most of us have been in the one situation or another like that where you stayed too long. And then, you know, what was interesting is that one of the questions that I got was, why did you stay? <laughs> like, well, wow. I loved him uh, because it was COVID and I didn't want to make a major decision about a relationship during COVID. Cause I didn't think that that was really, yeah. You know, like there was all kinds of reasons why I stayed, but there was judgment in that. So like, it's really and I think that when you are raised by, by parents who are super, super hypercritical of you, you, it forces you to make decisions based on pleasing others rather than what's best for self. And that's what, that's the trap I found myself in. And, you know, this happens so fast. Like it, if you at all have that pleasing um, personality profile, it happens faster than you think. And all of a sudden you're receiving behavior and it's damaging. Yeah. It's damaging to your internal self-worth because you're allowing yourself to be treated in this way without protecting. And this is why I'm going to go back to, you have got to know who you are. Like yes. fundamentally know who you are because your heart will do the work like this. It will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, Lori. Such a beautiful share. Such a beautiful share. I think we could do this. I think, yeah, I think we could keep going forever. <laughs> uh what's left? I feel like we've touched on so many things, you know. Um 
I don't even, normally I ask people, what would you tell somebody who's doing, who's in the middle of something hard, but you've already shared that enough, you know? Uh, maybe we went off on that tangent about protection. I, I Let's just bring it back to that. Let's, let's bring it back to that and end on that. Cause what I mean by the tangent is like, I don't know if we fully landed like what you're doing to protect yourself. You said, accept you, but don't like, uh, don't allow, you know, people. That to... doesn't mean that they have access, right? Thank so you. this is about access. being just a little bit about a uh, discerning. Um, yeah. When it comes to who in your most precious moments, you have to think about trauma and these experiences as precious, not as in precious as an important, I mean, as in something you need to protect. So aligning yourself with people that you trust fully that are going to hold space for you. And then you're the one that knows more than anybody. Right. A therapist doesn't tell you, they never dictate to you how to feel. They extrapolate that from you. So when you're getting these messages from people that are telling you, you need to do this, or you need to do that, or you need to do this, breathe. Pause. Take time. The quieter you become, the more you can hear. Yeah. And rest in that space. Think of it as you are nurturing yourself and loving yourself in a way that nobody else can do. Yeah. That's what I mean by protecting yourself. And that, that what comes from that can be some hard decisions. Like know that when yeah. you become clear, those moments of clarity, when like, I know what my core values are. Yep. We're not in alignment. And that can be challenging because then you have to decide how long do I hold on to this person who's not helping me function in this or who is not treating me in the way that I want? Like, is this hurt worth them sticking around or do I need to choose to protect myself? That's where those that courage comes in. Yeah, dude. Like the ugh. courage to make those tough decisions or have those tough conversations. It usually st starts with a tough conversation. What I was hearing while you were saying that, uh, just last thing I'll share is when you're in the middle of a massive trauma, like what you're talking about, what you need is going to be different. Like, I think people expect this happened. Yes, I'm grieving, but I still got to, you know, keep the house clean and, you know, do go work out in the same way I was working out or, you know, just like all the things. And I, what I'm hearing is be open that you might need something completely different. In fact, most likely you're going to need something completely different and it's going to include space to your point. And be, I mean, this is not a time to judge your, your reactions or your behavior. Like, um, because hard. you go into survival mechanisms. That's right. Your and body so, is biologically yeah. wired that way. And if you're sensing judgment from others, like yeah. 
I guess <laughs> the fundamental thing that I it, like do over if I could do it was recognizing earlier how immensely mm. vulnerable I was. And um, I wasn't caught and it allowed things to come into my life that were just, yeah, you know, and they're wonderful people. Don't, don't get me wrong. And that I was in, that I was uh, entangled is a superb human being. I am, like I said, this is beyond people's skill sets. And I don't even rest the fault in him. It was me. I didn't understand what I was allowing to have happen. He didn't know. He thought he was helping. Like, I know he right. did. It's core. Yeah. He did. Yeah. So I don't ever, this isn't that. It's just knowing that you are that vulnerable. You have to be very, there's got to be a moment of like awareness of what's happening around you and a moment of pause yeah. and don't rush it. Don't rush yourself into a place that you're not ready for no. or other people aren't ready for. Don't rush the process. The other thing I will say, and this goes along with you, Erin, is that that somatic work that you do is, is incredibly powerful. And I would encourage anyone, verbal therapy is going to get you so far, but that, that mix between the two is what's going to help that deeply rooted trauma that lives in your bones. Because if you don't acknowledge it now, and help release it now, it's going to stay with you. It's going to come back. You know what I mean? Like you got to yeah. work, work it out. Oh yeah. Thank you for touching on that. Um, that is what has, that's what cured me of chronic fatigue was doing the somatic work because chronic fatigue was the byproduct of the trauma living in my body. So yeah, I, um, and the somatic work looks very different person to person, but I am trained in, uh, in an understanding of Peter Levine's somatic experiencing. So that's kind of like a 12 step, you know, there's 12 different steps to that, that actually some of them you kind of mentioned, you know, like resourcing and those kinds of things. So yeah, it's, it's invaluable. Um, it's just another piece of the puzzle. Yeah. The body holds the stuff, right? It's like, if we just, that's what I say about talk therapy or whatever, not that there's anything wrong with that. We have, there's a time and a place, but it keeps us in our head and the body is so much more ancient. The nervous system is so much more ancient, millions of years older than the prefrontal cortex. So, um, yeah, just don't bypass it. It's tough though. People have shared with me. They're actually afraid of nervous system work. And it's because, yeah, you're going to have to start feeling things, but you do it whoever you work with, they're not going to hopefully do it in a way that pushes you. You know, it's like, it's you baby step those things. Right. Um, and you, you either know, do the so, work now or you'll have to do it or you live with this for yeah. years. Like, I and mean, it turns into disease. Like I'm not trying to scare people, mm -hmm. but it really right. does turn into disease. You cannot live in a state of stress, which trauma states of fight, flight, freeze, and fawn are states of stress internal. So it's like, I thought I was fine outwardly, right? Internally, my body was under stress. And over time, my immune system just broke down and I got chronic fatigue. So yeah, it's nothing to scare people with, but it, it, there is scientific work to back it up, back me up on this too, that it, you know, we just can't live in a state of stress. So I mean, they use the yeah. MDR to, to combat people. TSD for, for combat vets. Like this is no joke. It's the real thing. Yeah. So, uh, and that's just one 
what yeah. kind of somatic there's other kinds um yep but it's invaluable it's invaluable yeah well Lori, i'm so glad you are on a healing journey and that you've you know you're coming over onto the other side from it i know you're still working through things as we all are but um thank you for sharing your story and being so vulnerable with us today it's really been a pleasure um, I think this is going to really be powerful for people to listen to. I hope it was helpful. It's going it to be is. different for everyone, but yeah, um... I really think just by sharing our stories, we help people because people connect, they connect to your story versus if you sat here and gave us 20 steps to, to heal or whatever, you know, it's like that, that goes in one ear and out the other, but it's the story that, that we connect with. It's your lived experience for sure. So thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Happy to be here. Obviously I will, I, Lori, I don't know, we didn't talk about this, but any information Lori gives me will be below this podcast. If you want to you know, find her work. Uh, and obviously my information is below here too. If you're somebody that's looking for some somatic healing work, um, I also do energy healing and co co intuitive coaching, kind of combine those three things together. Um, then you'll have my information below, but thank you so much for listening, all of you that are here. And we always like to hear how these, you know, podcasts served you. So let us know. I'll pass it along to Lori. <laughs> Because ah, it's, you know, it's not easy to share your story like this and to be so vulnerable. So, you know, people really do like to hear how, how it impacted you if you feel so inclined to share. Thank you so much for being here. And Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. If you would like to connect with me more, you can find my website, my services, and my social media links all in the description of this episode. Remember, you are a beautiful and divine and powerful being, and it's time to own it.